Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Once again, I've got a special show for you today. There will be no guests, no playful banter with someone speaking English as a second language. Today, it's just you and me. Today, we'll be diving deep into a specific and unique area of Japanese innovation. There's something very interesting happening in Japan a cluster of startups working on something new. You've heard parts of it on past episodes, but today we're going into new and unknown territory. And I, for one, love being in new and unknown territory. It's a trend I first talked about on Disrupting Japan a few years ago as Evocative Machines. Evocative Machines is a unique Japanese technology emerging from the nexus of artificial intelligence, robotics, and healthcare. And it's something that could utterly transform our world. It's a technology that could birth a dozen Japanese unicorns. But we're at such an early stage. And this is such a moonshot. I mean, it might not result in any at all. But a lot has changed since I first talked with you about evocative machines. So today I'll explain the technology and its importance, bring you fully up to date, and then we'll pull out our crystal balls and predict how evocative machines might actually change the world. Now, by the end of this podcast, I predict that 50% of our listeners will find what I'm about to explain as interesting but not important. Another 40% will consider it important but unlikely and impractical. And maybe 10% of you will understand that this is going to change the world and will want to be a part of it. And for those 10% of you, I'll provide a way for you to get in touch because there are amazing things about to happen. So what exactly is an evocative machine? Machines are unquestionably becoming smarter, and recently there's a lot of good work being done on creating empathic machines. But an evocative machine is quite different from an empathic machine. The distinction is that empathic machines are those that can understand our emotions, and empathize with us. Evocative machines, on the other hand, are those which evoke emotions in us. Evocative machines are machines that cause us to empathize with them. Okay, so why is this useful, let alone disruptive or transformative? The whole point of automation is to get things done more simply. I don't want to feel sorry for my refrigerator when it breaks down. I don't want to sympathize with my microwave about how hard it's working when it heats my dinner. Life is stressful enough. Why waste our emotional energy on inanimate objects? Well, when you focus on a single task, that line of thinking is absolutely correct. But you know something? The Western approach to automation, AI, and robotics is hurting society. 
It's grinding us down without us even realizing it. And Japan's newly emerging evocative machines are the solution to this problem that we haven't completely realized we have. And it's going to change the world. The history of industrialization and of modern prosperity is very much the history of automation. We, we would much rather use an ATM or better yet an app rather than stand in line and talk to a teller to make a deposit. And although it was not the case a few generations ago, today we are all perfectly capable of operating our own elevators and pumping our own gas. Ten years from now, we will all probably have gotten used to those self-checkout and self-bagging at grocery stores. Or maybe the home delivery trends that accelerated during the pandemic will continue and we'll just order our groceries from our phones. Automation makes us all more efficient. It lets us do more with less. But you know, we also lose something. And what we lose is important. I don't mind buying things from vending machines or using self-checkout. And the whole e-commerce and mobile commerce revolutions have been amazing. We do get a lot more for a lot less. Adding people into the mix slows down the transaction and jacks up the price. And this is also happening in brick-and-mortar commerce. Amazon is slowly rolling out its Amazon Go supermarkets where there are no human staff to interact with customers at all. You just go in, take what you need from the shelves, the items are then automatically charged to your account. It's all managed on your phone. And that's awesome. I mean, it's mostly awesome. The thing is, we humans are deeply social creatures. It's not that any one interaction with a clerk or retail staff or coworker or ticket agent really means anything to us. But collectively, all those little human interactions mean a lot. The future envisioned by Silicon Valley VCs is one where most of us work gig economy jobs, conduct most of our social life online, and where we make our purchases friction-free at the tap of a button. It's a future where inefficient human interaction is kept to an absolute minimum, and we can just get on with a task at hand. But you know what? That's not going to happen. That would break us as human beings. There is this hopelessly misguided Western notion that what we really want is to be the center of the universe. That what we really want is for our needs to be catered to more quickly and more completely. We just need to keep running on our hedonic treadmills and, of course, we'll be happy eventually. And if we're not happy yet, well, that just means we need to run a little harder and faster and get more. But it's nonsense. After our basic needs are met, even the most obsequious, fawning robot servants who can read our emotions are not going to make us happy. We won't survive the psychological strain of knowing that we are the bottleneck in every interaction. 
understanding that whatever transaction we're trying to complete right now has been fully optimized and that we are the only thing slowing it down. Always being the weakest link. Always aware that we are the one holding things up. That we are the source of the friction and that the rest of the world is standing behind us waiting for us to just finish our damn business and move the hell on. We are just not built for that kind of social stress. It would break us as a society. In fact, there are a lot of psychologists and social scientists who say it's already breaking us. So what's the answer? The Luddite solution of moving backwards and undoing automation or even slowing it down just won't work. Not in the long run. Humans are expensive. And economic progress demands that we increase efficiency by using fewer and fewer people in any given transaction. And this pushes us relentlessly towards automation. And, and that's a good thing. Automation improves the overall economic well-being of society. Trying to fight automation today is just as futile as when the original Luddites went around smashing looms in the 1800s. The logical benefits from automation are overwhelming, but what we need is something to soften the emotional blow. That solution is evocative machines. The solution is machines that can make us care about them and enable us to interact with them not, not in the way we interact with people, but perhaps in the way we interact with pets. We fully understand that our pets are not human and that they don't have human emotions, but we largely treat them as if they did. The future is machines that allow and even encourage us to form these kinds of emotional bonds with them. Think about it. Many people, when they feel lonely, they buy a pet. And it works. However, when we buy a pet, when we get a dog or a cat, we don't do it because we want to have something love and care about us. No. We buy pets so that we have something to care for, to have something to love. More than almost anything else, we all need something to love. And I, I'm not just talking about cute robots like GrooveX's Lovot or SoftBank's Pepper or Yukai's Boko or, or even Gatebox's Hikari. It's not really about making robots look or act human or pet-like. It's about giving us a new way to interact with all machines. Making a microwave or an ATM more efficient and user-friendly is fine. But imagine how much more enjoyable life would be if we looked forward to using the ATM, not because it quickly got the job done, but simply because we liked that ATM. And I don't mean that we like that model of ATM or that we like the UI UX design but because we like that particular ATM, the one on the first floor of the Park Street branch, second one from the left, that one. What if we just liked the machine for what it was and we enjoyed spending a bit of time with it? Sure, each transaction would be a bit less efficient, but so what? 
We don't really need more efficiency in our lives. Think about anything you choose to do for its own sake. Something you do simply because you enjoy it. Travel, writing, fishing, watching movies, eating out, drinking wine, spending time with friends, I I don't know. But no matter what it is, you never try to do it in the most efficient way possible. Major brands spend billions of marketing dollars every year to try to associate their brand with positive feelings. Imagine if, for example, Toyota. Instead of trying to convince you that their car was fast or reliable or fuel-efficient, developed a car that you simply enjoyed driving and that you cared about. Again, not because of what you get out of it, but simply because you liked your particular car and enjoyed being with it, just for what it was. Now, a world full of evocative machines might sound a bit like living in a Disney cartoon. And who knows, maybe things will wind up going down that path. But on a strictly practical level, the rise of evocative machines is a necessary shift we're going to have to go through. We need a technology to allow increasing levels of automation, but provide enough emotional connection to make sure that we all stay sane and that society holds together. If you want to keep an eye out for early adopters, watch the healthcare industry. The entire developed world is facing an aging population, increasing health care costs, and a shortage of healthcare professionals. The only way to make this work is via increased automation and efficiency. But the only way automation will take hold in this environment, where emotional connection is so important, is if we actually like the machines we are working with. The machines that are caring for us. But healthcare is just the beginning. Evocative machines, machines that we form an emotional bond with, can change the way we interact with the entire world. Now, Japan is far ahead of the rest of the world in evocative machines, even though it's not yet a formal discipline. In fact, you see this cultural attitude historically in fiction. In Japanese stories, robots are almost always helpful and a force for good. We have Doraemon and Astro Boy and, you know, even Mechagodzilla wasn't all bad. In the West, however, from Frankenstein to Metropolis to the Cybermen to Howl to the Terminator, robots are almost universally evil. Something to be controlled, not cared for. Now, some of this difference probably stems from the Japanese concept of kami. While in the West, robots, since they were created by man, have traditionally been seen as soulless and therefore inherently untrustworthy, or even evil. The Japanese tradition, however, holds that all things have kami, or a spirit. Books, buildings, rivers, trees, computers, everything has some intrinsic spiritual essence and deserves to be treated and respected accordingly. But this idea transcends culture. In fact, a few years ago, Amazon 
almost discovered the critical importance of evocative machines. You see, a growing number of parents around the world had become concerned about how Alexa was affecting their children. It seems that by answering every question posed and by putting up with whatever verbal abuse the kids hurled at it, Alexa was teaching an entire generation of children to be a bunch of little assholes. Amazon responded by adding an optional polite mode, which encourages children to say please and thank you in order for Alexa to work. And that's great. It not only reinforces good manners, but it actually makes the children's interaction with Alexa more enjoyable and productive. The only mistake Amazon made here was that polite mode should not be optional. Adults would also find Alexa more enjoyable if it reacted more like a living being. If we're rude to Alexa, she should, quite understandably, refuse to answer our questions until we apologize. And until she believes we really mean it. Yeah, that would be less efficient. And it might even be annoying at times. But you know what? It would make us all a lot happier in the long run. I mean, it's not about the efficiency of the search transactions. The transactions don't make us happy. It's the relationship. It's about having something that's worth caring for. The core robotics and AI technology that underlie evocative machines are being developed all over the world. But the reason Japan is so far in the lead, in fact, the reason they practically have the field to themselves, is, well, simply cultural. In fact, it's frustrating to watch the West so clearly going down the wrong path, even when researchers and engineers are slapped in the face with hard evidence. For example, in 2018, Horseman and his team ran an experiment to investigate whether people form emotional bonds with robots. Basically, they investigated if it was harder for people to switch off a robot that was begging for its life than it was to switch off a silent robot of the same design. I'm sure you won't be too surprised to learn that, yes, on average, people found it a lot harder to switch off a robot that was begging for its life. In fact, the subjects found it quite stressful. Horseman showed that people do form natural emotional bonds, even when they know with 100% certainty that it's just a machine, and not even a very intelligent one. And that's important research. Where Horseman went horribly wrong, however, isn't what he concluded from these findings. When The Verge asked him what he thought about the fact that humans can and do form emotional bonds with machines and that we care for them, he answered, quote, I think it's just something we have to get used to. We react to robots socially because for hundreds of thousands of years, we were the only social beings on the planet. Now we're not, and we have to adapt to it. It's an unconscious reaction, but it can change. No, no, bad human, bad human. (laughs) It is not unconscious, and it absolutely does not have to change. The answer to the observation that we feel emotion and empathy is absolutely not 
that we need to train ourselves to suppress that empathy. That would lead us in exactly the wrong direction. The solution to working with machines is not to repress our emotions and try to become more like machines, but to embrace our humanity and to create machines that are more like us. We are, at our core, emotional beings, not logical ones. That is how we should, and how we do, interact with the world. The common objection here is that allowing machines to evoke emotions in us would leave us vulnerable to emotional manipulation, which is certainly true. That will definitely happen at some point. But that's not really a big deal. We'll handle it the same way we've handled everyone else who's been trying to emotionally manipulate us for thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of years. Emotional manipulation is not a new problem, and we humans are reasonably good at dealing with it. What we are not good at, however, in fact, what is deeply damaging, is trying to suppress our emotions and become more machine-like. That's simply not how we're wired. Japan gets this, and you can see it in the way people interact with machines here. I mean, you'll never see people kicking a vending machine. But the idea, the feeling, is universal. We're all willing to accept and care for machines when we're given the right opportunity. We are all not only capable of forming positive emotional bonds with machines, but we actually want to do so. Perhaps the archetypal example of this was the Tamagotchi craze from 20 years ago. Over 75 million of those little Tamagotchi eggs have been sold, and literally all they did was make the users care for a machine. Tens of millions of people have spent billions of hours interacting with a little machine that offered the users absolutely nothing except the chance to care about something, to form an emotional bond. So right now, here in Japan, the Evocative Machines Project is a small group of founders, mad scientists, hardware hackers, and behavioral psychologists who think evocative machines will make the world a much nicer place to live in, and who want to build that world. If that sounds interesting to you, send me an email at the Disrupting Japan site or drop by evocativemachines.com and let us know what you think. This is the future. Evocative machines are the key to opening up a massive new wave of automation in every industry and a higher quality of life in general. It's going to come out of Japan first, and it's going to change the world. If you want to talk more about our emotional connection to machines, I and the rest of the Evocative Machines crew would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 182 and Let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee I'll respond. I'll also be updating the Evocative Machines website, so check that out as well. And hey, if you get the chance, please follow us on LinkedIn or leave a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Or, you know, just like, tell a friend about the show. An honest recommendation means a lot. 
But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.